a full band, drummers and everything here tonight. So thanks for coming out. Ruth chapter 2, page 307, if you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you. Ruth chapter 2. It's been said that God put Ruth chapter 2 in the Bible to make you smile. Are you ready to smile tonight? It's a delightful chapter of God doing amazing things in the lives of normal, everyday people. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord, the way you are intimately acquainted with the personal lives of your people. How you move to bless. You know our names. You know the ways that we take. You know the plans that you have. And we are so grateful for that tonight. Would you bless this time in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So three really important details that I want you to understand before we get in to the text of Ruth chapter 2. Three important details. Number one, 3,000 years ago, the world in which Ruth, Naomi, and company lived, that ancient world was a man's world. Men were in charge. Men owned everything. Men owned property. Men owned the estate. The family name followed the name of the man. The men were in charge. It was a patriarchal system. Women did not own property. The estate did not go with them. Wealth passed from father to son and so forth. So women without men were in big trouble. Women were cared for through their relationship with men. So if you were a little girl growing up, it was your dad. When you got married, it was your husband. If you outlived your husband, it was your firstborn son. So the most vulnerable position that a person could be in from a female standpoint would be to be a widow without sons. So if you had married, you'd left your father's household, and then your husband died, and you didn't have any sons, that left you in the most vulnerable position you can possibly imagine. And such were the circumstances for Naomi and Ruth here at the beginning of chapter 2. They were childless widows. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, had died. Both her sons died. She's lost all that covering. Ruth, if you remember, had married into the family of Elimelech, marrying one of the sons of Elimelech, but he died. She had no sons. These two women were in a terrible position as Ruth chapter 2 begins. So that's the first detail. The second detail, there was a law on the books that could help a woman in that type of situation. 
And it's a really odd law for us. But it was called the law of the Leverite marriage or the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. I'm going to read to you from the law of Moses. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So, what does that say? A a woman's married to a man, he dies, they have no sons. A close relative to the deceased husband, a brother, or a close relative, could save that family name. Could redeem that whole situation by marrying the deceased husband's wife. Having a child, firstborn son, would carry on the name of the dead man's name. And that was the Leverite marriage. Now that sounds odd to us, right? Um, We don't do that today. There's other safeguards. But back in that day, that was the safeguard. So, Naomi has lost her husband Elimelech, both her sons. If there were to be a close relative of Elimelech, a brother, that person, if he so desired, could come in and redeem that family. So the law of the Leverite marriage. And then there's a third detail. The law provided for a wonderful way to take care of poor people. It was a wonderful social uh, help program, social assistance, called the Law of Gleaning. So at harvest time, poor people were allowed to glean in the harvest fields. And the law was very exact on this. It said, farmer, it's time for harvest. You go reap. Don't reap it all. Don't strip it clean for yourself. Cut corners. Leave some portions of the field open. And even let things drop. And allow for poor people to come along behind and glean so that they can have provision. Now, I think that's a beautiful social assistance program, don't you? It encourages generosity for the farmers And it also encourages hard work for poor people. So not just sitting around waiting for handouts, but actually having an integrity about them and allowing them to work for their food. So those three details. Now, look at the first part of Ruth chapter 2. There was a relative... Of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was what? 
And who was he of the family of? Elimelech. Who was Elimelech? Naomi's dead husband, right? So Ruth the Moabitist, I don't know how to say that, Moabitist, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to whom? Boaz, who was of the family of whom? Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. So here we are introduced to the other main character in the book of Ruth. This man by the name of Boaz. Wonderful, awesome man of God. Says that he was a man of great wealth or great standing. He was a very prominent man in Bethlehem and in that area. He owns fields, at least one field, there outside of Bethlehem. We know he was a godly man. The name Boaz means in him the Lord is strength. Being called a great man of wealth, the Hebrew could also speak of being a great man of valor, a mighty man, a strong man of God. We know he was a man of God because he stayed in Bethlehem during the famine. You remember the famine had come and, man, it had brought devastating consequences to Bethlehem for 10 plus years. It was because of that famine that Elimelech moved his family to Moab. Boaz never moved. He stayed put in Bethlehem, trusting God, and it would seem that he did just fine. He shows up to his field, and he says to all of his workers, the Lord be with you. Yahweh be with you. And all the workers say back to him, the Lord bless you. This guy was a man of God. He was a man of integrity. You're going to see as the story continues. He was a man of generosity. And the most important detail to the story, he's from the family of Elimelech. He's a close relative of Elimelech. So Boaz shows on the scene to his field in Bethlehem. And now notice this incredible decision, this courageous decision that Ruth makes. Ruth was not one of those women who was one to sit around the house moping. She didn't sit around waiting for handouts. She thinks, you know, the barley harvest has just started. She learns about this law and the law of Moses. Hey, poor people can go glean. So she says, Mom, can I go? Naomi says, absolutely. And there she goes. She, she leaves her house having no idea where she's going. No idea whatsoever. Just she's going to find a field. She picks a field, 
And it happens to be a field that belongs to Elimelech. Do you kind of feel the sun shining on this whole situation? Do you see the stars sort of aligning here? You see some pieces falling together and you see the perfect timing of it all? Several months prior, Ruth and Naomi were in Moab. And Naomi says, you know, I think it's time to go back home to Bethlehem. She travels. Ruth goes with her. They arrive in Bethlehem right when the barley harvest is taking place. So Ruth finds out about the law. She walks out. She goes into a field. And Ruth happens to be gleaning in the field of Boaz when Boaz just happens to arrive to survey the work that is happening in his field. All these things are converging. All these pieces are in place. And it all converges on one single day. Ruth chapter 2 speaks of the details of one single day that started off ordinary but will end up being consequential one of the most consequential days for Ruth, Naomi and Boaz was this random was this by chance no this is the providential leading of God This is God knowing the intimate details of his people and moving things around, including their free will, their choices that they make, and making things come together. You know, I love reading in the Bible how God directs his people in mighty miracles. I love that he led his people by a pillar of fire by night, you remember, and a cloud by day, and that he could show up to Moses in a a burning bush, And I love reading about how God will reveal himself to the prophets and dreams and visions and angelic visions and all that. I love that. But you know what my favorite way that God communicates to his people? Providentially. A God who sees just the intimate details of life and moves the pieces together. And I love to be able to see how I, you know, you're, you're, you're moving in life and, and all of a sudden you see these things start to come together. And then they come together and then years later you look back and you go, wow, that was God. Has that ever happened to you? The providential leading of God caring for his people. Providence has been called the natural moving of the supernatural hand of God. So, God gets Boaz to the field and Ruth to the field. Now, what's going to happen? Well, a love story. A God-sanctioned, ordained, sleepless in Seattle... Romantic love story. The story 
of how Ruth met Boaz. And let me tell you, Ruth has been called one of the most beautiful love stories in all of literature. God putting it all together. So, Act 1, Boaz notices Ruth. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Can you, can you see, Boaz? Who's that? Now, there's a lot of people in the field. He's got maid servants, reapers. There's other poor people gleaning along. But Boaz notices Ruth, and he goes up to the, the person in charge of all the reapers. Who's that young woman? And I, and I hear the young, the, the servant of all the reapers saying, yeah, she's something else, huh? Yeah. And he notices two things about Ruth, which I find beautiful. That woman asked permission to glean in our field. Yeah, she asked. She asked if she could come glean. Yeah, you usually didn't do that. You just gleaned. But here's a woman who found who's in charge and says, can I glean? And then the other thing he notices about her is that she's an incredibly dedicated hard worker. She showed, Boaz, this woman showed up early in the morning. She's been gleaning all day. Hard, back-breaking work. It's April, May. Sun's out. It's hot. And Boaz goes, really? And the second guy goes, yeah. And Boaz goes, wow. He was smitten. He was attracted to her. Now, what made Ruth attractive? Well, I personally believe that she was a beautiful young woman. Very healthy and strong and able to work hard. But I also believe that there was an inner beauty to Ruth that was noticeable. And I see so many strong qualities about her. She, she's a self-starter. She says, Mom, I'm going to go work. She's courteous. She's considerate. She's sensitive. She's humble. It doesn't scare her to be as identified as a woman on social assistance. I'm poor, so what? She did work hard. And she was an amazing woman of God, a woman of faith. This is the woman who left her hometown, her family, her culture, everything she knew in her past, all of the gods, to follow the God of Israel. She left everything. Boaz noticed 
Act two. Boaz makes his first move. Boaz approaches. Verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women, my maidservants. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Now, I'm still a believer that the man should be the gentleman and make the first move. And Boaz did that. Ruth has no idea. This, she doesn't know who this man is. But she soon finds out this is the owner of the field. And Boaz comes to her and says, my daughter. I love that. Now, she was probably much younger than Boaz, no doubt. But to say daughter is a term of affection. It's a term of warm affection. Something that's odd. You you normally wouldn't say that to a Moabitess, a foreigner, someone in poverty. But he welcomes him as daughter. He's welcoming. And then he says, listen, the barley harvest has just begun. It's going to last for several weeks. Glean in my field. Don't go anywhere else. You keep your eyes right here. And I want you to join my maidservants right on the front lines. Go with them. And when you get thirsty, take provision with the main team, the reapers. They had their set-aside tent, their place where you could get, you know, the water and and the refreshment. And, And Boaz says, you, you get your water there. I've commanded my men not to touch you, not to hinder you, not to harass you, probably not to hit on you, right? You stay right here. You glean in our field, my field. Ruth, verse 10. She fell on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? She's overwhelmed. She she can't believe what's happening. If you could read the actual Hebrew, it's kind of got a, a play on words. She said, why would you respect a reject? I'm nothing. I'm a foreigner. I've got nothing to offer. And you're pouring out this favor upon me. Why? Verse 11, and Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. Boaz says to her, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come 
for refuge. I know your story. Word gets around. Boaz did some investigation. Why are you being so favorable to me? He says, because I know your story. You're a, you're, a, you're a woman of God. You're a woman of faith. You left everything you know to find refuge in the God of Israel. And he says to her with the prayer, may God reward you. May God repay you. And I'm thinking all along, Boaz is thinking, and if I can be a part of the way God would reward you, I want to be part of that. See, this is what really attracted Boaz to Ruth, that incredible commitment, that incredible choice that she had made. Verse 13, she responds. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. You're treating me like your very own when I'm an outcast. You're so, she's overwhelmed with this grace and this kindness. Act three, Boaz invites Ruth out to dinner and a movie. I'm kidding, not, not a movie. But he does ask her out for dinner. Verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied And kept some back. This is still the same day. They've been gleaning all day. Now it's time for lunch. Maybe early evening. Everyone breaks for lunch. Boaz, the owner, the guy in charge, invites Ruth, the foreigner, to dine at his table. With his team. She eats, it would seem, right from his plate. She dips the bread right there in the vinegar. Unheard of. Everyone would have seen, wow, Boaz. Strict. And then it says that he's passing her parched grain. What's parched grain? Grain that's been uh, roasted. So they're, they're taking barley. They're having this harvest of barley. Some of it, they're roasting it. They're making it into bread. They're enjoying it right there at the table. And he keeps giving her parched grain. She's full. She can't eat anymore. So now here's some to take home. He's giving her take home, carry out. It's beautiful. It's like, you ever, do you have that grandma? Have you ever been to your grandmother's house and, and you, you show up and they feed you to your like a giant bowling ball and they have to roll you out and then they send you home with a bag of groceries too? That's kind of what Boaz is doing. Just blessing her. I hear a lot of laughter at that table. I hear a lot of conversation. I hear discovery as they discover more about each other. 
I, I imagine it's a wonderful thing when you've been harvesting all day to sit down and enjoy part of what you're harvesting. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And Boaz wanted Ruth to experience it. Act four. Boaz continues to pour on the charm. Blessing her even behind the scenes in ways that she's not even realizing. So the meal's over, verse 15. When she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So Ruth goes out to continue gleaning and the other guys are about to go and Boaz says, hey, wait a minute. Invite Ruth right up to the front. Let her, let her, let her reap with you right there at the front. Don't forbid her. And he's even telling these guys, do the work for her. Cut some of the sheaves and let them drop. Let her collect. Let's bless her abundantly. She collected so more, so much. Look at verse 17. She gleaned in the field until evening. Sun's down. She grabs everything that she's gleaned. And she beats out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. So at the end of this long day, now this woman's got that stick. And she's beating the stalks. And she's harvesting, getting that barley in a place that can be consumed. And the text says that she has an ephah. 22 liters. Five and a half gallons of ephah. You know those five gallon water things that you turn over? Five and a half gallons of that. Most Bible scholars believe on one day of reaping, she secured enough barley to take care of her and Naomi for three to six months. And remember, she has carry out. She has a whole hot meal ready to go home. My friends, that should make you smile. That should make you smile. Look how God, how good God has been to a foreigner, childless widow. Look at the grace of God that's been poured out upon her. Look at the grace of God that's been poured out upon her via Boaz. Look what the Lord is doing. Act 5. Ruth goes home. Verse 18. Then she took it up. What? did She, she took her plunder. She took it up and went into the city... And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought, so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. They only check it out. Five and a half gallons of ephah. And even gave us carry out. Naomi is completely 
blown away. Together, they're blown away. Now, I, I, I chose this picture. I like this picture of, of Naomi and, and Ruth because it's kind of ambiguous. You can look at it from different ways. If you look at it in one way, you kind of see two women that are nervous. They're in despair. They're concerned like they were at the beginning of Ruth chapter 2. But then if you look at it another way, you can see two ladies who are thankful. They're blessed. They understand that, oh man, God is blessed. So, Naomi can't contain herself. Verse 19, her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Where did you work Blessed be the one who took notice of you. What field were you at? Who blessed you so abundantly like this? So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And right at that moment, a light turned on. Naomi, verse 20, said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relative of ours. He's one of our close relatives. Ruth's like, no way. Yes way. You worked in the field of this guy. He's a close relative to Elimelech. And the lights go on. And you just know, Naomi, those wheels are turning, right? Ruth says to her, and mom, verse 21, he said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. I'm supposed to stay in his field. He told me that I have to, I shouldn't go anywhere else. Do you think that's a good thing to do? And, and Naomi, you think? Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. You stay in that field, don't go anywhere else. God brought you there. You stay put. And then I absolutely love verse 23. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz, To glean until the end of barley harvest and what? Wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So she worked in the field of Boaz for the remainder of the barley harvest. And then there was a wheat harvest. Day after day after day getting five and a half gallons of produce. Blessed abundantly. She probably spent another three months in the fields of Boaz. And what do you think happened during those three months? Do you think Boaz went out of his way to check on Ruth? To make sure she was doing okay? Do you think Ruth would look for Boaz? I think a romance blossomed. I think they got more and more acquainted. 
I personally believe they absolutely were a match made in heaven. God had brought them together. And just wait till you see what else God is going to do with this couple. Providence, the providential hand of God. God moving intimately in the lives of his people. In all of the different details of life to bless them. Now I want you to understand that we learned something really really important from Ruth when it comes to the providence of God. If you want to see God working. Never become idle. Never become withdrawn. If you want to see God work in your life, keep moving. Keep working. Keep being responsible. Keep doing the things that present themselves to you day by day in the very best of your ability. Keep growing. Keep seeking. Keep praying. Keep being courteous to people. Keep being generous. Keep moving forward. Keep being responsible. I ask you a question. What if on that day, Ruth had said, you know, I don't feel like going out today. I'm going to stay home and eat bonbons. Or I've got a bad attitude. I'm just going to stand here with my hand out. I'm going to wait for a handout. She would have missed that moment. But no, here's a woman who got up and said, I'm going to go earn some food. I'm going to go take care of my mother-in-law. God moves in the normal, everyday, responsible living of life. God moves. God guides. God connects dots. Even in a tragedy, if a tragedy happens in your life, something that you can't believe ever could possibly have happened, you keep moving. Anything more tragic than Ruth and Naomi lost their husbands? Naomi loses her sons. Ruth never had a son. Ruth has to leave Moab, chooses to leave Moab, goes to a people that she doesn't know. She's living in absolute poverty. Does she stand back and withdraw and go beg on the streets as a handout? No, she went to work. She did what was right. Life is confusing. Maybe you don't know why something happened or maybe you're thinking about what what type of career move I can make or what can I do? Listen, don't sit back. Live responsibly today. Do what God has called you to do today. And do it to the best of your ability. God moves in his people that way. He does. 
Even when you go through the hard times, you remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? Remember that story? Remember what the brothers did to Joseph? They sold him into slavery in Egypt? And then all the things that Joseph went through, he ends up in prison for several years for nothing of his own, nothing wrong that he did. I mean, he's going through all this stuff. But what happens in the end? God raises Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt. And it was that one single day where Joseph got to interpret some dreams. And that day that the guy remembered. And Joseph becomes second in the land and will be used by God to take care of his family, the brothers that sold him into, fam- sold him into slavery. On that day, Joseph, you remember his words, what you meant for evil, God did for good. God made it happen for good. You trust the providence. You do what's right. No matter how confusing life is, no matter how tragic life is, no matter you do what's right. My single brothers and sisters in Christ, those of you who are single, I want to have you... Uh, Well, maybe I should have you raise your hands. No, I won't have you raise your hands. But maybe you want to be married. Listen, listen carefully, my sister in Christ, my single sister in Christ. Don't you dare live your life obsessed about men. Obsessed about finding your your husband. And putting yourself out there and putting yourself on every dating app. Serve the Lord. Be responsible. Work hard. Go forward with the career. Do what's right. Let God present them. And when the time is right, he will. Oh, and by the way, be looking for a Boaz. My single brothers in Christ. Don't live your life obsessed with finding a wife. And putting yourself out there and putting yourself on all those dating apps and doing all of these. Listen, work hard, be responsible, move forward in life, serve Christ, be courteous, be generous. Trust God to present her. When she comes. The Lord is in charge of your life. And there's coming a day. There's coming a day. When I was in my late 20s, I had had a bad relationship. I was not interested in dating. No more dating for Terry. And I was just living my life. I was working as an engineer. I did some internship work as a pastor. I was getting my master's degree on the side. I mean, I'm moving forward. Kim, she had just been through a bad relationship. She had given up men and dating altogether. And she was doing her, she was working at the church. And she decided, I'm I'm just going to follow the Lord. And there came that day when we were both mutually invited to to weddings of mutual friends of ours. 
And I'll never forget that day. We sat at the same table at the reception. Her parents were there, so I got to meet her parents. We laughed. She asked me if I wanted coffee and how I wanted it. And she went and she got me coffee. And I was like, wow, this is cool. That that was a big deal to me. I don't know why, but it was. I look back on that day. And I just knew I'm not leaving that reception until I dance with Kim. And we danced. And we dated. God presented us to one another, folks. And I know it for sure. And it wasn't why we were sitting around being idle. It was while we were living our lives for God, moving forward. Now, there's another thing I'd like you to consider when it comes to providence. And this is God working, if you want him to work in your life. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 12. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it. Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Don't live selfishly. Hear me. Don't live selfishly. Don't be that person where it's all about my issues, my problem, my lack of having a relationship, my marriage, my career choice, my whatever. And there are so many people, including Christians in the church, that are completely immersed in their own lives. Now, love others, love Jesus, love others, and live to bless others. Jesus said, lose your life, and you'll find it. If you can keep your eyes on Jesus and keep your eyes on others, and live to bless Jesus and live to bless others, God is going to connect those dots in your life. He will do that. Ruth, why did she leave and why did she go glean? It wasn't just for herself, it was for Naomi. To bless Naomi. Boaz, man, he lived to bless people. And he sees this woman in need and blessed her and that would change his whole life. There's something else that I'd like you to remember when it comes to providence. And and that is, please understand that God has the bird's eye view in life. And in his providential working in your life, he sees the big picture. He sees a picture that you can't see. And so oftentimes, understand this. He's going to bless you, but he's also going to bless you in such a way that he can bless others. He really is. We see that a pattern throughout scripture. Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And 
and Abraham, you're going to be a blessing. That's what God does. Not, I'm going to bless, and I want to turn you into a blessing. So I'm going to move in your life in such a way that not only do I bless you, but I bless others through you. Keep that in mind. There's a bigger picture always. And Ruth is a lot like Abraham, right? She left her country. And the Lord's going to bless her. And the Lord's going to make her a blessing. A great blessing to Naomi. A great blessing to Boaz. And just so you know, we're reading the story of how God put a family together 3,000 years ago. That will play a significant role in God blessing all of humanity. There's a big picture. There's a big picture. God wants the best for you. And God wants to use you as a blessing. So you keep doing what's right. Keep being responsible. Stay put. Work hard. Serve the Lord. Think of others. I want to put up on screen a very special place for Kim and I. This was a place that we, uh, we visited um, five or s- seven years after we were married. This is a gazebo. It's located in a prayer garden in a place called Glorieta, New Mexico. Anybody heard of Glorieta, New Mexico? It's got this beautiful Baptist conference center. And I've spent many conferences there. Um, it's just, I don't know, 20, 30 miles north of Santa Fe off of I-25 on your way to Colorado. This Baptist uh, conference center has a prayer garden, and in the middle of the prayer garden is a gazebo. And that gazebo is a very special place for Kim and I because on that gazebo, years earlier, that's where I asked her to be my wife. We got engaged on that gazebo. And it was, here's, here's how it went. I picked her up real early on a Sunday morning. We skipped church. Said, I got a surprise for you. I took her from Albuquerque. We drove to Glorietta. We went into the prayer garden. We went to this gazebo. And we, we, had it, we were there real early. We had it very private. And we had a little church time together. We shared communion together. I gave her her ring, asked her to to marry me, and she said yes. I couldn't believe it. She said yes. And we prayed. I remember the prayer. You remember it? said, Lord, thank you for blessing us and use our relationship to bless others. That was our prayer. We want to be a blessing to others. We really do. Lord, bless us. And bless us to bless others. That was our prayer. So we left the gazebo. We're walking down this trail. And we run into these two older ladies who are coming to the gazebo. And, you know, we're, we met them. And, of course, we said, hey, we just got engaged. And there was high fives. Yay, yay, all that. And then she said, well, you got to know something. Um, we were just coming to this gazebo on the way to the hospital, we were feeling a little sentimental. We were, vi- we're visiting our friend, the one who had this gazebo built in the prayer garden. And now this f- friend that we know is, is on their deathbed. 
And so we were just stopping by the gazebo, and then we're going to go see them, see her, and visit her. And you know what? The fact that you got engaged on her gazebo, we're going to tell her about that. And we think that's going to really bless her. We had just prayed, Lord, make us a blessing. And we ran into those two ladies. And they said, you're going to be a blessing to the, the one who put this gazebo up. I'll never forget it. It was the most beautiful thing. It was the providential hand of God confirming the God of heaven and earth put Kim and Terry together. It was the smile of God. It was beautiful. And of course, he continues to bless us. We got to show our kids that gazebo. Told them the story. God has blessed us with beautiful children and a dog. And I really believe that Kim and I together are a much bigger blessing to people than we ever could have been apart. God has God has confirmed that. Because God blesses to make you a blessing. Now, some of you right here, you have stories just like that. You can look back and you can see how God has moved things in your life. And he will. Because he is a God of grace. And he's a God of detail. And he's a God of providence. And if you belong to him tonight, no matter what you're going through, whatever you've been through, whatever it is, keep living right. Keep being responsible. Keep moving forward. Don't stay idle. Do what's right. Move and let God do things. The Christian life has been said like you've got to ride the bike. It's like riding a bike uphill. What happens if you stop pedaling? You go back. You fall. You got to keep pedaling to do what? To, well, to stay on the bike. To go forward. And it's a lot easier to steer a moving bike. And God will steer your life, but you move. Amen? You do have a God who cares. Who's putting things together like you can't believe. And that's the story of Ruth chapter 2. It's beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you blow our minds. Yeah, they're the big miracles that we see sometimes. The big healings. Those are awesome. But how much more awesome is when you confirm that you've seen our thoughts, you've seen our cries for help, you've seen our tears. And you see a way. You see 
You want to move in our lives individually in such a way to bless. So we're going to trust you with that. I do pray for those right now that are walking through difficult seasons in life, confusing seasons in life. You know, if that's you, listen. Keep moving, keep pedaling, keep doing what's right. Keep being responsible. You never know when that day's coming. Keep trusting, keep growing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on blessing others. Encourage each and every one. Lord, and I pray that you would bless many people through our lives, each and every one of us. Paint that picture. Do that work. In Jesus' name, amen.